When I was six years old, I had an addiction to sugar. And I wanted all the sugar all of the time. And I remember one particular moment as a six-year-old going through the cupboards and finding my dad's stash of sugar because he's probably where I got my sugar addiction from. And he had like three bags of candy. And I saw them and thought to myself, no one will ever know. And I opened one of the bags of candy. It was this candy, this weird pink candy. I still remember very clearly sneaking one into my mouth. And it melted in my mouth in a very pleasant way. And I thought, that was delicious. And so then I took two or three more and put them in my pocket and then put two or three more in my mouth and then left the area lest I get caught. A few minutes later, maybe an hour, I was like, Oh, but those pink candies, and it was all I could think about. And so I quietly crept back into the kitchen, quietly opened said cupboard, and snuck a few more into my mouth and into my pocket, and then left behind the kitchen again, walked around the house eating and letting the candy just dissolve into its deliciousness in my mouth. Then I thought to myself, these are so good. I need to eat more of these candies. So I waited about an hour. I went back in. I took more candies. And this time I snuck them to my room and I hid them under my pillow. I did this a few more times until there was a stash of pink candy under my pillow and there was like maybe four left in the bag. And um, within time, my dad went to his own candy stash and he didn't have to sneak because he's a grown-up. And so he went to get some of the pink candies and there were only like four left. And so he knows between me and my brothers who has the sugar addiction. And so he calls me, he says, J.L., um, do you know anything about these candies? And so in that moment as a child, I made a deliberate choice to lie my face off. Now, I was not a good liar. I really didn't have any good lying skills of any kind, but I thought for sure if I said that it was I who ate the candy, that certain death would come upon me. And so I made up some ridiculous story, and I could tell my dad did not believe me. So I upped my auntie and lied even harder and bigger, something about a kangaroo and the cupboard, and I saw him taking it. And the more I talked, the more clear it was to my dad and I that I was obviously lying, and I could tell he didn't like the lie, and so I kept going, like just digging an even more ridiculous hole. And um, my dad nodded patiently as I lied my ever-loving face off. And then he said, okay, and he just let it go. And I thought, wow, I'm good at that. I am a great liar. And then about a half hour later, he calls me and he says, hey, weird thing. I found these under your pillow do you know anything about them? And I was like, yes, that sneaky kangaroo. I went back to my original lie and I doubled it down, baby, because I didn't want to get caught. And he said, well then, since they're not yours, you won't mind if I take them back and put them in the bag. The truth was that even as a kid, I was lured away by sin. I was caught up in something I wanted. I saw pink candy. I wanted pink candy. I took pink candy. By the way, it's actually not that good. I tried it as an adult. I don't even know why my dad chose that candy. When you are a grown-up, you can pick any candy you want. But the devil, this is how he rolls. He wants to lure us away. He wants to tempt us with something 
catch us and lure us away. The devil's already been kicked out of heaven. If you don't know the history, once upon a time, many years ago, the, there was a God in heaven who had no equal, no rival, and no opposite, but he did have angels. And there were three big main angels that were like the top tier of all the angels. There was Gabriel, and he was in charge of the messages from God. There was Michael, who was in charge of the warring angels. And then there was Lucifer. And Lucifer was in charge of all the worshiping angels. These three guys were in heaven. At one point, Lucifer basically said, I'm as good as God, so step aside. I'm going to assume the throne now. And he convinced a third of all the angels in heaven to follow him in this rebellion against God. And though he was beautiful and responsible for the world, worship and all these cool things in heaven, he was expelled from heaven into, uh, thrown down to the earth and eventually will be thrown into the lake of fire. When the devil left the presence of God, Lucifer, the beautiful angel, left the presence of God, he became grotesque and twisted up, how you may imagine him today. And by losing the power, like the presence of God, he, he began to hate and he began consumed to be consumed with all that he had lost. He had lost perfection. He had lost paradise and he had lost relationship with God. And so he made it our mission when humanity was created that he was going to make sure that we as the crown jewel of God's creation would also lose fellowship and connection with God. That became his goal. And Jesus even stated the devil's like life mission statement is this. The thief's purpose, which is a nickname for the devil, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's about. He wants to steal our relationship with God. He wants to kill our soul. He wants to destroy our life and the generations that follow us. That is what he's all about. Jesus further critiques the devil and he says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The only thing that the devil really creates, has ever created in all the universe is a lie. He takes the truth and he twists it and that's his MO. So when you are, when you lie or when you hear a lie in your own mind or heart or anything, that is automatically connected to the enemy. But I want to expose tonight the plan that the enemy has because he follows a very particular pattern, if you will. This is how he tempts people. This is how he tries to lure us away from the presence of God. So I present to you the devil, the tempter. And at first, the tempter does not look very intimidating. He, he actually could come off like a fisherman, if you will, a fisherman whose job it is to cast out the line to see who he might catch. And so just like the dad fisherman here in our little skit, you can see that he's just casting out his line. He's just casting it out in the water to see who he might hook, who he might lure away, who he might grab hold of. And he casts, and he'll cast all day long. Have you ever seen those fishermen, those grandpa guys on the shore, and they're, they'll still cast all day? You ever yell to them, you catch anything? They're, they'll say no half the time. They don't care, and the devil doesn't care either. He'll just cast, he'll just throw out a thought, throw out a temptation, throw out an idea to see if it catches. Well, if it doesn't catch, he'll change the bait, right? Just like a regular fisherman, they'll take the worm off, they'll put a tie, tie some kind of fly and put it on. They'll put a different lure on. They'll throw out something else to see if what they have might convince the fish to bite. And this is how the devil fishes for us. He's the tempter. So if at first 
The bait of the earthworm wasn't effective. He's going to try a gummy worm. He's going to pivot and he's going to try some other kind of bait to see if he can pique our interest. So the devil might cast out an, an idea of telling a lie to get out of trouble. And you might go, I'm too old for that. I'm not going to fall for that trick. So you'll change the bait and say, oh, okay. Well, what about, what about a hot looking girl on Instagram? Will that lure you in? Was that going to do it? Oh, not that? Okay. What about the temptation to, to tell your parent that you're at your buddy's house when really you're at a girl's house? Is that what's going to lure you in? So he just changes the bait, changes the bait, changes the bait until finally he finds something that you're interested in. And he will use that thing to lure you away from the presence of God and to lure you close to where he is. And every one of us has a thing, a something that will lure us away. The Bible says in James 1, it says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and sin, when it is allowed to grow, gives birth to death. Do not be misled, my brothers and sisters. And so when we get tempted, we think, well, I, the devil wants to make us think there's nothing we can do about it. We're tempted. We got to give in. But the Bible tells us that there is a way out of every temptation. But the devil never lets us see a way out. He always wants to trap us close to him and far from the presence of God. First Corinthians 10 says the temptation in your life is no different than what others experience. God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. But eventually, if we don't fight that temptation, something will lure us away and something will cause us to come. We will grab hold of it. We will bite. And underneath the bait, every time when the devil fishes is a hook. He is not a catch and release fisherman. He plays for keeps. He tries to hook us in and capture us. And then the second we're captured, we're tempted, and we've taken that bite, this is what he does. He changes. He goes from the tempter to the accuser. He's no longer the non-threatening guy that's like, oh, just try it. A little bit of weed won't make any difference. Just take a bite. A little bit of beer at the party is not going to matter. Just sneak out. Your parents will never know. So he goes from the tempter who makes the sin sound like no big deal. And then as soon as we bite, he flips to the accuser. And then he wants to chain us up with guilt and shame. As soon as we take a nibble from what he's selling, then he starts to say, how dare you? You're so, I cannot believe you call yourself a Christian and you lied to your parents. You should be ashamed of yourself. You disgust me. As soon as we nibble what he said was no big deal, he flips from innocent tempter to hardcore judgy accuser. And he throws in our face anything he can to get chain us up in guilt and shame. The Bible tells us about the devil. It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. Who is the accuser? The devil. And what does he do? The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And sometimes in our own minds and hearts, we hear those accusations, the accusations that the devil throws at us. He throws them at us in the day. He throws them at us at night. So we have no peace. You're worthless now. If people only knew what you did, no one would love you. No one would even like you. 
You might as well give up now. It's all your fault. God will never forgive you. He throws these accusations at us that before we did it, it was no big deal. He was just trying to tempt us. But now that we've done it, it's the worst thing we could ever do. And he binds us up in this guilt and shame. And he wants to convict us. He wants to sentence us to death for our sin. And here's the tricky part. The Bible does say the cost of sin is death. And the devil, he never wants us to know the second half of that verse when he's the accuser. The cost of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So while the devil is busy convicting us and condemning us and laying us down with guilt and shame and these thoughts about what losers we are and he makes us feel bad, he is all about condemning us. And he wants us to think that there is no way that we will ever escape what we have done. Condemnation is shame and guilt saying that you are who you are. You are what you did. So if you lied, it's not that you're a person who told a lie. You're a liar. That's how the devil rolls. You're not a person who cheated and made a mistake. You are a cheater. You are a lustful person. You are a thief. You are lazy. When the devil starts accusing and the devil starts condemning, he makes us the action we committed. He says, you are this. And because you are this, you should be ashamed. Condemnation is the devil making us feel worthless, hopeless, shameful for what we've done. Condemnation is when we feel that we have to become the one-time mistake that we made. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wraps us up in that. God never condemns his children. God doesn't condemn us. In fact, God... If we ever do feel condemnation, if we ever feel condemned, guilt and shame for our sin, then something is wrong. And so there's two big words that I'm using that are not interchangeable. There's the word condemned, which means sentenced to death, weighed down with guilt and shame, pressure on us, weight on us for our actions. That's what the devil does. He condemns us. The other alternative is conviction. Conviction is, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. Now, conviction is different. Conviction is basically the Holy Spirit going, hey, that was wrong. It's the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus, knocking on your heart, saying, whoa, 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 that wasn't your best moment. Let's fix that. Let's deal with that. God is able to convict us of our sin, to alert us to our sin, because he wants to draw us to him. He wants to draw us to him, so we'll say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for that wrong thing I did. Please forgive me. So condemnation says you are what you did. But conviction is when we say, wait a sec, I did this thing, but who I am is still God's. Who I am is still a son. Who I am is a daughter. Conviction says, is when the Holy Spirit says, you're my son, you're my daughter, but you made a mistake. You're my son who lied. You are my daughter who cheated. You are my son and you lost control and and gave in to anger. You are my daughter who made a bad choice. But he doesn't call us bad choice, angry, liar, cheater, thief. He just says, you're a son, you're a daughter who made a bad choice. And conviction is when the Holy Spirit alerts us like it's an alarm system inside of us that says that was wrong. 
Now, how do you know if it's the Lord alerting you to your sin or if it's the enemy condemning you for your sin? Here's how you know. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if at any point for that sin you have truly said to the Lord, I'm sorry, and it gets thrown back in your face, it's condemnation and it's from the enemy. It's him being the accuser. If you haven't apologized to God for that sin, then you're being convicted so that you will. So if you cheat on a test and, you've, and as soon as you walked out of that room, you're like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I feel guilty. I can't believe I did that. That was such a wrong choice. I'm so sorry, God. And you're, and you're telling God you're sorry. Right there, the Bible says your sin is as far away as the east is from the west from you. You're not guilty anymore. You were guilty, but your sentence has been commuted. It's no longer on you. So anytime it gets thrown back in your face now, it's not conviction, it's condemnation. And condemnation comes from one source, and that is the enemy. The Bible says in Romans 8, chapter 1, it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So once we apologize for our sin, if it gets thrown in our face, if we start to feel guilty, if we start to feel embarrassed, if we start to feel ashamed for our actions, that is condemnation, and that is the enemy, the devil, playing the role of the accuser in our life, trying to, conv to convict us and condemn us for our sin. In the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. They're living in perfect paradise. Everything is as it should be. Everything is flawless. Adam and Eve are enjoying like perfect relationship with God. They're so tight. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that God came into the garden in the cool of the evening every night and walked with Adam and Eve like a man walks with his friend. They walked together and talked. They were so tight, right? Then there was only one rule in all of paradise, and the one rule was this. Don't eat from this certain one particular fruit tree. God had to put a rule in place because otherwise Adam and Eve were robots. They were forced, there was, they were forced to love him. But they had a choice to love him, and the way they could unlove him was by eating the fruit of the one tree he said not to eat. We don't know how long Adam and Eve enjoyed this perfection in paradise with God, but at some point, the serpent, the Bible says, which is another nickname for the devil, the serpent slithers in, and he tricks Eve. He tempts her. He says, look at that, that apple. People say it was an apple. We don't know. It could have been a peach. I don't know. Look at that fruit. It's so delicious. And he, something he talked her into, he told her, if you eat this fruit, you'll be stronger, better, wiser. Something great will happen to you. And so she felt that God was withholding something from her. So for whatever reason, she chose to disobey God. She plucked the fruit. She ate the fruit. And she gave the fruit to Adam. And he ate it as well. As a result, the Bible tells us that sin entered the world. And when sin came, God and humanity became separated. Because God is holy and perfect and by definition is the absence of sin. And so he can't be close where sin is. And so suddenly there was a separation and Adam and Eve felt that separation. They felt that conviction of God. They, there was an alert system. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. You've done something wrong. And they didn't know what to do with it. So they did what humanity has done for generations now, and they hid from God. Let's pick up the story. Genesis chapter 3, it says, 
When the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And this is what we do sometimes. We sin, we mess up, we feel the conviction, and our first response is to run and hide. We think to ourselves, we hear the voice of the accuser saying, we're not worthy, we're stupid, God can never forgive us. And so we think we have to hide. Just like I hid my sin from my dad as a six-year-old kid. We think we cannot tell God what we've really done. He'll be so pissed. And so we hide, and that's what Adam and Eve did. And then the Bible says, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God already knew where he was. God already knew what had happened. But he wanted Adam to answer him. He wanted Adam to come out of hiding at some level. So Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And this act of nakedness meant he was a he was physically naked, but also he was aware of his sin. He knew that he was separated from God and he was guilty of some type of sin. Who told you you were naked, the Lord said. Have you eaten the fruit, the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me that fruit and then I ate it. So all of a sudden into the, into the garden enter sin, guilt, shame, condemnation, blaming, the man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. All Everybody's blaming everyone. No one feels close to God. And everyone feels a need to hide. And this is often what happens when we sin. But friends, I want to challenge you that the opposite is what we need to do. As a parent, what I want my sons to do, because they're going to mess up. I mess up. They're going to mess up. We all are going to mess up. I don't want my sons to feel like they have to run and hide when they make a mistake. I want them to say, I want them instead to do the opposite. And I want them to choose to come near and say, mom, I messed up. I went to that party when they're teenagers. I went to that party and I never should have done it. I was on my phone late at night and I shouldn't have been. And I looked at some stuff and I got a problem. I want them to come to me and not hide from me. Because I want to help them with the sin. I want to help them with the shame. I want to help them with the guilt. I want to lead them to a process where they can get healing and wholeness and forgiveness and, and overcome all of that. But Adam and Eve, they hid and they were embarrassed and they were afraid that God would judge them and condemn them. So they judged and condemned themselves, weighed down with guilt and shame and separated from God. And we do the exact same thing so often. We all sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious perfection. Every single one of us, I even, I even sinned today. And if you're honest, you probably sinned today. But when we sin, we have to make a choice. And the choice is this. Are we gonna hide? Are we gonna run? Or are we gonna allow the Holy Spirit who's alerting us to our sin the sirens going off in our heart, are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and then own it? Yes, I did that, and it was wrong. I'm sorry. And so I want to lead you through this process tonight because I want to show you how all these different steps work. So if you would, we're just going to completely ignore our friends for the next five or ten minutes. Close your eyes and search your soul. Look inside. Is there any sin within you in some way? Any sin 
that you know that you're hiding from God. Maybe you've been hiding it for a long time because it's a pattern, it's an addiction, it's a weakness and you don't know how to get out of it. Or maybe it's just something you did or said just today or this weekend. But once you, once you know what it is that the devil has tempted you with, what you've been lured by and where you've fallen into sin, just apologize. The same way you'd apologize to your bestie like, Sorry, I, I was a jerk. I blew it. I did that thing again. God, forgive me. Forgive me. I fell. Messed up. Prayer to God doesn't have to be fancy and perfect. It just has to be authentic and real. And today, when I sinned, that's all my prayer was. I got a Bible degree, but I didn't flower it up. I'm just like, God, I was a total jerk. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And once you pray that prayer, and I hope that you just did in the privacy of your heart, once you pray a prayer like that, then the conviction of God lifts. I pray a prayer like pray a prayer like this three, four, five times a day, every day of my life. And the conviction should lift where the siren in our soul is no longer going off, saying, beep, beep, sin, sin, sin. It's gone. But what happens next sometimes is the accuser, right? He comes in and he says stuff to us. You're worthless. You're stupid. God will never forgive you. If people only knew, you're not worthy of being called a Christian. You lift those hands to worship. I know what you did. You lift that voice to, to sing to God. Yeah. You talk and you curse and you tell those jokes and, and the accuser just comes in and lies. So after we've confessed our sin, we're clean. And when the devil comes to accuse us, we can now tell him to shut up and go to hell where he belongs. We don't have to listen to those accusations. We don't have to entertain them. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, it says, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Though your sin is as red as scarlet, I will make it as white as snow. And so we're forgiven, we're forgiven. And when the accuser throws his lies at us, we say, shut up, go to hell. I do not believe you. And we silence those. But for some of us, we've been hearing those lies. We've been carrying that guilt and shame. We've been hearing that description of ourselves that we are a liar, we are a cheater, we are a lustful person, we are a shame, we are a disappointment, we are fat, we are whatever goes in that blank that we don't even recognize it anymore. And so I wanna show you how to deal with guilt and shame and it's just simply this. You have to, you have to grab hold of the lie. So what is the lie that the accuser has been telling you? Identify it. What has he been saying to you? You're not good enough, you're not worthy, whatever it is, find that lie. Find that lie. And then the way we hold it up to the light is we tell God what it is. God, the, the lie that I'm hearing is blank. The lie that I'm hearing is this. I'm hearing that I'm not worthy. I'm hearing that I'm not good enough. I'm hearing that it's all my fault. I'm hearing that God will never forgive me. I'm hearing, just tell him what it is. 
God, you hear the accusations that we're telling you that our enemy is whispering in our ear. And we pray that you would set us free, that you would silence the accuser in our life in the name of Jesus. Silence the accusation in Jesus' name. And God, we pray that you would break the chains of guilt and break the chains of shame and break the chains of condemnation off of us. We are not liars or cheats or thieves. We're not unworthy. We're made worthy because of you, Jesus. And we lift holy hands to you in worship because of who you are. And we have freedom instead of condemnation, not because we're so awesome, but because you are so awesome. And so I ask in the name of Jesus and I command the enemy to release every single student, every single blue team from guilt and condemnation, from shame that we've been carrying for our past mistakes. I ask that you would root that spirit up and out of us in Jesus' name and that you would release instead a sense of peace, your grace and your mercy to fill in those spots that we would realize that we have been forgiven much and so we love much. We are not our mistakes. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, it says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with a bold confidence and we can receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do things that please him. The devil wants to chain us with guilt and shame because he does not want us to come boldly to God and ask for what we need. And God wants us to be able to come boldly and ask for what we need. I'm not show you how to do that, but but even now I'm sensing in my spirit that some of us feel like we can't do that because there's still something holding us back. And what I think it is, is that you might need to forgive yourself. Maybe you've been hearing the accusation of not being worthy or good enough or being the sin that you committed is who you are for so long that, that you, you need to forgive yourself for making that mistake or letting God down. And that's a really easy process too. It's just simply saying, God, I forgive myself for the thing that I did. I forgive myself for the lie. I forgive myself for the porn. I forgive myself for the sex. I forgive myself for the underage drinking. I forgive myself for cheating. I forgive myself for the thoughts, for the actions, for the deeds. I forgive myself. And if God has forgiven us, then we can forgive ourselves. And once all of that's happened, then we can receive that boldness. I wanna look at that verse again in 1 John. It says, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. We can come to God with bold confidence. And I gotta be honest, sometimes when I watch us worship lately, here in 46, I don't see bold confidence. I don't see students who feel forgiven and who feel like they can go to God and ask him for anything. I see students that are probably chained by guilt and shame and feel unworthy to even ask. We don't have to be guilty. We don't have to be ashamed. We can have bold confidence. I wish I could tell you that we're not gonna sin again, but the truth is that we're all works in progress and so we will. And when we do, the most important thing is your first thought 
should be, I need to run to the Father. I need to get to God. I need to tell him what happened. I need to say sorry about it. And then I need to let him hold me and hug me and restore me. And I need to be close to him. Do not let the enemy accuse you and say, no, because of your mistake, you need to hide. You need to run. You need to ignore. You need to get away because he's going to judge you. He's not going to judge you. He's actually already paid for the sin. He's already, he's already aware of the cost. He already paid it on the cross. It's already done. So the only thing that we need to do is when we sin to come to him and say, I am sorry. I need you. And let him embrace us and bring us to wholeness and healing. Never be afraid. And I know sometimes we're afraid to confess our sin to God because of how our parents have responded to our sin in the past or how pastors or teachers or we think other religious people have responded to our sin and maybe they've responded in a way that was condemning but God is not in the business of condemning he's in the business of paying for our mistakes himself and he will and he does so when you mess up tell him about it and let him restore you right away God, in the name of Jesus, I bless these students. I bless them with your presence. I bless them to know you and to know your arms of love that when we each sin, that we would choose deliberately to run to you and to admit it and to receive the mercy and the grace and the healing that you have for us. God, let us never believe the lie of the accuser again that tells us we have to hide from you. When you're such a good father, you're such a loving father, you've already paid for our mistakes. We love you so much. Bless these students as they go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.